Good morning. The uh, message today is on Psalms 129, and uh, we're looking at this psalm. And uh, back in the day when the Israelites would travel to uh, their festivals, they used to, of course, march up the mountain, and they would be uh, traveling along for sometimes several days. And instead of maybe looking for license plates from a certain state or counting the number of a certain car, they would be singing these songs of accent, which are really, truly uh, songs that are sung to encourage their people. And they have a message in them. And Psalm 129 has a message for us today that's very applicable to what we are doing and what is going on around us. As we look at this this psalm, understand that we, one of the things that we're called to as Christians is to persevere, and particularly persevere under persecution. And just like the Israelites had to, to undergo persecution, we too, as God's people, undergo persecution as well. The question is, is what will your response be to persecution? And when it's going on around you, and because of the fact that you were a Christian, and because of your relationship with Christ, we will be persecuted. And uh, we can be persecuted for things that we bring on our own self, which have nothing to do with Christ. But in particular, uh, we're talking about persecution as it, resu- as it results from having a relationship with God. Pastor Eugene Peterson tells of a story from his childhood, a story about having to deal with enemies. And for him, it came in the form of a school bully who beat him up every day after school. And it seemed no matter how young Eugene tried to avoid him and the the forms of going in alternate routes and detours, this bully always seemed to stalk him and find him. And when he found Eugene was a Christian, he started calling Eugene a Jesus sissy. Jesus sissy. And poor Eugene kept trying to to dodge this bully. And uh, Eugene remembered the words of Jesus, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. But one day, this bully came, and Eugene snapped. He grabbed this bully, threw him to the ground, and began hitting him. And rather than telling this bully to say, Uncle, Eugene forced this defeated bully to say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Say it, say it. And this bully said it. And as Peterson says of the bully, Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. Well, that's not how we're supposed to do evangelism, and it's an example of retaliating under persecution. But how are we supposed to to respond to persecution? Obviously not the way that Eugene Peterson did. Well, as we look at Psalm 129 today, we look at a psalm that's all about persecution. Let me read it. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Psalm 129 
It's about great and numerous persecutions that the Israelites experienced, even from when they were young. And as the psalmist writes this, he's writing it almost from a personal perspective, but also from a national perspective, as they have been oppressed all the way through uh, the nation of Israel from the beginning to, to even uh, currently. And when we recognize that this psalm was sung, it was probably sung in response to their exodus and looking at how they were oppressed in Egypt. And it says that they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, knowing that the the Jewish community, when they came in under under Jacob into Egypt, was a very small band of people in the hundreds. They left Egypt in the thousands. And so they were oppressed there. They were forced to be slaves to basically do the labor of the nation of Israel. But God released them. And he released them by bringing up a leader called Moses who would lead his people out. And as those 10 plagues were, were, were put upon the nation of Egypt, we recognize that was God's way of freeing this, this great nation, these people that he loves so much. And so as we see as a follower of Christ, we too can expect to be persecuted. In fact, if we are not persecuted, we probably have to ask ourselves, am I living for Christ? Am I making known the hope that I have? Because if we're not persecuted for our belief, then we have to ask ourselves, is it evident that we are a believer and are we making any impact on the people around us? Do they know where to go for answers to the questions they have? Um, but this, this, this uh, persecution that we have is very difficult to endure and uh, it kind of taps into what we call the adversity quotient. And they've done many studies on successful people. And one of the things that's very consistent with successful people who win or are raised to the top of their field is that they have a high adversity quotient. And what that means is, is that they, st- they stick to the task at hand, even when it gets difficult, even when people say this about them, even when people make it difficult for them to proceed they stick with the task. And so as we look at that as uh, persistence, or we look at that as an adversity quotient, we recognize that's the perspective of what God is communicating through Psalms 129, which is very important for us as his people to have. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if you're living a godly life and I'm living a godly life, we will experience some persecution. And it may be uh, by someone calling you a Jesus sissy or something like that. Um, And we recognize that people will see us. And because they see us associated with God, they may not have anything personal against us. But because they don't have a relationship with God, because they have an antagonistic relationship with God, they take that out oftentimes on God's people. And so we will experience persecution, was that Timothy writes. Verse 2 in Psalm 129, They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. He repeats it, but they have not gained the victory over me. What he's saying here is, even though they have persecuted, even though they had us in Egypt and we were under bondage, we got out of Egypt. Even though we were in captivity in Babylon and Persia, we were, we were let free. And who freed us? It, we'll find out as the psalmist re, re, repeats the things that God has done for them as his faithfulness has been consistent to the nation of Israel and to his people, which includes us Christians who are grafted into that. 
We realize that circumstances will oppose us just like they oppose the Israelites. Uh, as they go into the promised land, what do they face? Opposition. And from one city to the next, as they have to, if they have to, as they have to battle, we recognize that there is persecution and opposition, and it requires a certain amount of persistence for us to proceed with what God wants us to do in this world. Psalm 129.3 Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. And this is just an image of Israel lying down like a field and the persecutors taking their plows and plowing big furrows in their backs and the pain. And, and you can almost picture whipping as these, uh, these Egyptian um, taskmasters are laying into these slaves to work faster, produce twice as much and to, to mistreat them. And so the psalmist says, they have plowed my back and made their furrows long, as long as they could make it, like a farmer who wants to use up every little bit, uh, every square inch of his field as they have plowed them. And we can just see the persecution that's there as the nation of Israel is experiencing that under 400 years under Egypt and then finally released. And that's God's releasing of his people, God's perseverance to be faithful to us. Matthew 5.44 says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So how, how are we supposed to respond to those who persecute us, those persecutors? We are to pray for them. Are we to just lay down, uh, face down, and let their plows? No, that's not what we're supposed to do either. But we are to first pray for them and to really respond to God, to, per, to uh, petition him to provide relief, to provide his will be done in those situations because God sometimes holds his people uh, under uh, even cruel and uh, totally godless leadership and he uses those situations for his good. And you can think of Assyria and some things in the Old Testament and examples in the Old Testament where God used a, a foreign nation to to maybe correct his own people, to disciple them, to, to train them up so that they would draw closer to him. He would use those under his own sovereignty, his own control, as he can control any king or any ruler. So we are to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. That's the, the very first response we should have is to ask God to deliver us. And Psalm 129.4 says exactly that. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. And these cords are the picture of the cords that connect the plow to the, the, the oxen that's pulling this plow along on the backs of these Israelites. And the cord is cut and effectively the, the, the persecutor or enemy's uh, way of, of persecuting is, is cut free, much like the 10 plagues. And as, as uh, they escape from Egypt, they're delivered. Or how they are delivered out of captivity in Babylon or Persia, how the nation is let go let free. Or even as they're reestablished as a nation in 1948, how God has done that through miraculous means. Uh, no other country ever in the history of the world has, has gone through this kind of persecution and this kind of uh, pressure. And it's a miraculous thing that they even exist. And if one person has said, a chancellor said one time, Prove to me that the Bible is true, and I don't want a long dissertation on its reliability, etc. And which his assistant said, I can give you one word, and that is Israel. 
And if Israel is preserved, it points to the fact that God exists because it's a miraculous feat to have, look at the nation of Israel and how they have been at near extinction at several different points and God has come in and has rescued them. Uh, even the war in 1967, the Six-Day War, again, another example of God has got to be on, on, on behind and in support of this nation. Israel is a great example of the existence of God. It says, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. It's because of the Lord's righteousness, not because of anything else, that he sovereignly will choose to do this. And so he sovereignly chooses to love us and to, to extend his grace towards us, but he also sovereignly extends his protection over us and his promise that he will be faithful to us uh, forever. And here the, the psalmist changes gears in verse 5 and he talks about they and it says, May all who hate Zion, the nation of Israel or God's people, be turned back in shame. And the, the, the final end of these persecutors is that they will meet defeat and there will be shame at the end of it. And as you look through the, Israel, the nation of Israel and the history of this people, that's exactly what happened. The persecutors eventually were defeated and they, they met it. But the question is, is who is they? We have this question today. If you look at, you look around in the media today and you recognize that things are going on and there are things that are, that are kind of slanted a certain direction this way or that way and, and sometimes it's hard to figure out who they is. Um, recently in the, in, the, in the past week, my daughter made me aware of the fact that um, Bibles are being burned and I asked the question, why would someone burn Bibles? I mean, what, what did a Bible ever do to anyone? And when you look at that, that, you ask that question very objectively, you realize that the Bibles aren't really the problem. It's what the Bible represents and whose word it contains. And so there is an affront against God, either through his people, sometimes they're persecuted, sometimes through his word as it is persecuted or tried to be extinguished, as it was in Voltaire's day, or you see a direct affront to God himself. But God's purpose, his kingdom, his people, and his word are almost always attacked. And what the psalmist is saying here is that they will be put to shame. As Voltaire tried to destroy the Bible and, and extinguish it, uh, even the printing press was put in his old home that printed many, many Bibles once he was gone. And God, God defeated that purpose of uh, trying to extinguish his, his word. And so the they that we ask ourselves, who are they that are the attackers, the persecutors? I would really uh, just, just kind of implore to, you, to think about the fact that this isn't about necessarily this group of people and that group of people. There is a spiritual war going on. As we, as, as we go throughout our physical day, there's a spiritual war going on. And the they isn't necessarily this, these people who can be used by the enemy, who can be used for his purposes, but the they really is oftentimes a spiritual force that is beyond uh, just the, the, per, the people who are burning Bibles, the people who are throwing the Bibles in the fire, the people who are doing things against God. They hate God. They hate God's people. They hate God's word. They hate God's kingdom and his plan. Any of those things is really just the fact that they, they are against God and they're antagonistic towards him. And they are probably being directed by the enemy who prowls around, around like a lion. And because of that, we need to recognize that they 
are people who are made in God's image and they are, they are, they, that God loves them, but they are acting basically out of being empowered by uh, the enemy. We read Ephesians 6 and we see for this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, to persevere, to stand up under that. And so these forces of evil are, are working their way through people. But the truth is, is that there is a master plan that the enemy is trying to carry out. And he is capable of using people. Even people who, who know God can be, can be duped into being used. But certainly those who don't know God and who don't want any of his kingdom purposes or his plan for the family or his structure of how things are supposed to be, where there's blessing. And when we fall under those things, we find life. Uh, they don't want to have anything to do with that because they're not under the, the power of the Father, the Spirit, under the power of the, the enemy. There's also a, uh, this this. In verse 7, just this prayer uh, against the enemies. And we see this imprecatory psalm, which is really a, a psalm. Of, it's a prayer of, of cursing, really. And the question comes is, is it okay for us to pray against our enemies? And the answer would be is, well, here it is right here. It, we, are, we are to pray that they come to know Jesus and that they come to have a relationship with him and, and that, that there would be blessing in their life through a relationship with him. But in the meantime, it says, may they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. And in that time period, they would, they would have buildings that were made by long beams and they would put branches across the beams to kind of make a roof. And then on top of those branches to insulate, they would put soil or just dirt. And over time, seeds would blow in and would, would take root in those, those, uh, uh, the soil that was on top of the roof. And oftentimes it was in the time of the spring where there'd be a little bit of rain and the, the seeds would sprout up and there'd be grass there. But then very soon afterwards, the grass would wither because there was very little depth to the soil. And so he talks about this, this prayer that it would be like the grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow so that their fruit would not last. Yeah, there's a persecution, but it wouldn't last. And then also in verse seven, it says, a reaper cannot fill his hands with it. There's just nothing there. It's empty. Nor one who, who gathers fill his arms. And so he's praying for a fruitless harvest of the enemies of God. And it's an imprecatory psalm that is to be praying against the purposes of the evil. And so when we pray, thy will be done, we're praying against the will of the enemy. We're praying for God's will to be done. And uh, we're praying that God would carry out his purposes despite the enemy's influence. And then verse 8, may those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. What a, what, a, what a thing to say that they would never receive the blessing of the Lord. And we think, well, wh what's the big deal with that? What we see that is good on this earth is all because of God. 
With the absence of God, you, uh, there was a question this last week of what is hell like? And one of the answers that, that's, uh, that is inherent in that is the fact that there's been an absence of God's goodness and his glory and all of the things that come because he's here. And we look out, we see beautiful trees and plants and creatures. And we oftentimes, you'll see long lines of cars pull over at the side of the road because there's one creature that God made sitting close to the road and people just recognize that's God's beauty. That's beauty. And because of that, there's a blessing that we, that we enjoy. But here what it says is, may those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. That there, there wouldn't be any blessing to these enemies, that they would experience the absence of God's goodness as normally the, the, the rain falls on the evil and on the good. In this case, it's, it's saying, don't let your rain fall on those people who are persecuting us. So what is our response supposed to be to adversity or to persecution? Well, we're told in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, which is really a a great book about talking about people who were faithful to the end and who didn't succumb to persecution, but were faithful to God and and, and being uh, used by him. Hebrews 12, one says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the question that really comes from that is, what is your adversity quotient? Can you, like the psalmist here, Pray for perseverance and pray for the power to persevere in very difficult situations. And is that something that you're doing on a regular basis? How do you respond to adversity? Or do you run and try to tell the nearest friend you have rather than going directly to God and asking him for for deliverance in response to that and sticking to the task that God has given us to do? Luke 19 says, 19.10 says this, when asked about what Jesus' mission on the earth is, uh, many times people will say, he was a good teacher, he's going to feed lots of people, he taught us lots of great things. But truly what he came for that he couldn't do anywhere else is to, he was, he was the son of man who came to seek and to save the lost. And that required him to crawl up on that cross and to take the penalty for our sins, to die in our place, that his blood would cleanse us and give us a relationship with God as God looks at us as this righteous person because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Later, Paul said to Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And what he was saying is, as Archippus, God has put you in a situation. You, you're, you're ministering to God's people. You're encouraging God's people. You're reaching out to people who don't know God yet. And you are to be faithful to that. You are to stick to that. You are to be persistent in that, that you would be faithful to the end as God's calling for him, even though there will always be persecution. And it, sometimes it comes from the outside and sometimes even from the inside uh, as God's people sometimes get misaligned. Romans 4.20 is a great example of how perseverance is built by trusting in God as we're given this example from Jesus of his persistence and perseverance. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do 
what he had promised. And so what we see there is Paul says that Jesus trusted God's plan and that God had the power to carry it out. And, and when we're under adversity and we're under a perse persecution, it's the easiest thing is to say, God doesn't know what he's doing. I'm getting out of here. When God is, is using us for a certain purpose for, a, for maybe a limited amount of time and that he is, is, is about ready to release us from that, but for his purposes and to be used for his purposes is what we are called to do. And it's important for us to recognize God has put us on this planet for an important purpose. And if we miss that, then our life really has a lack of, of understanding of why are we even here? And if you don't know why you're here, well, I'd love for you to, to have a visit with me and just we can explore some of the things that God is doing and maybe some of the people he's putting in your life who you may just be seeing as acquaintances, but really you're the closest thing to a Bible they may know. Or you're the closest thing to God who they may experience and your influence on them is immeasurable, immeasurable. As most people who come to the Lord need to know about seven believers before they, they finally, it finally clicks with them. So you are an important part of people coming to the Lord and being encouraged in the Lord, those who already know him. The battle belongs to the Lord. This is an important thing is that we have a partnership with the Lord that he, he wants to do it through us, but he requires us to be obedient and to stick to the task um, and to, to stay the course. But ultimately, we need to rely on him for our perseverance. It's not about pulling your own bootstraps up and you're under your own strength. It's actually about, it's actually about submission to, to God's power in our lives. Galatians says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so our weakness, oh, I don't know if I could go through that. God is not going to give us the grace until we're there. God is not going to, uh, to strengthen us and we, so we can't do it on our own strength or even intend to do it on our own strength. We need to just take one step at a time. And when we're faithful there, God will empower us to take the next step and to allow ourselves to be used by him as he uh, uses us in other people's lives. Just some applications from Psalm 129. When we are experiencing difficult times or persecution, persecution, is our testimony still that the Lord is faithful and good? There's a song we blessed to be his name, and, and it's, it's whether we're in the desert or whether we're in the green areas or whether we're in the high places or the low places of life, blessed be his name. Can we say that? When we're challenged by a health, something in our life that's maybe a health issue or a financial issue or a relationship issue, can we still say, God is true, he's faithful, he will allow us to persevere through this. What fruit are you producing by being connected to the vine? And do you have a clear vision of how to be used in that fruitfulness? And then consider what a powerful thing the blessing of the Lord is as you bless people. Uh, may God bless you this week. It's such a powerful thing. It, it, Paul uses that many times. He blesses the people who sometimes he can't even see. He, he's writing to them. And what a blessing it is to have the name of the, in the name of the Lord. It's one thing to bless people, but blessing them in the very name of the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and who's coming back. That's a powerful thing. Are you being persecuted? 
Is it because of your Christ-likeness? Is it because you are like Christ or like God and you're living that out? Or is it just because maybe you, you have some things going on in your life that has nothing to do with your Christianity? Are you praying for your enemies? That's the first response we should have is to pray for our enemies and to pray those prayers that say, God, please relieve this situation. But if it's not your will, accomplish your will, even if it means we have to persevere a little longer. Are you trusting God in his faithfulness that he, that he is going to get you through this, that he will uh, allow you to persevere? And are you commissioned with Christ in seeking and saving the lost? Are you sowing in prayer for the lost, your oikos? Are you doing that? It pays to persevere. Psalm 129 is all about perseverance. Thomas Edison experiment, experimented with hundreds of filaments before he succeeded in making his first electric light. Jonas Salk failed over 200 times before he found the right vaccine for polio. Douglas MacArthur was rejected twice before he was allowed to enter West Point. In art school, Charles, Charles Schultz, who we love because of the cartoons, received a low grade for his ability to draw children. We know their names because these were people who didn't quit. It's been said, you've got to get up every morning with determination if you're going to go to bed with satisfaction. Psalm 129 is a call for the church to engage in this battle of being God's light to the world, being salt to the world, and yet being persecuted. Because when we do the salt and the light thing, we will be persecuted. We will be, we will be seen as an obstacle to the enemy. But I want to encourage you that they are made in God's image. And we want to respect all people and, and bring them to, uh, to, to Jesus if possible. But realize that the enemy is at work. And that's a spiritual battle that we win on our knees, not with our mouths and not with our hands typing things necessarily. Although that's okay, as long as we don't sin, uh, we can do that. But realize that God wants us to be used for a very, very important purpose, to be his mouthpiece, to be his feet and his hands in this world, that they might come to know the Savior, that people, as many people as possible, would have a relationship with God because they see the church, they see God's people, and they realize that God is good and God is faithful. And even though it's difficult, he is true and he is faithful to carry us through it. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who you faithfully gave to us as a gift. We always think of Christmas as the time of giving gifts, but you gave Christ for us for, for our whole lives, that we would understand that it's about sacrifice, that sometimes through sacrifice, that's how we love other people. That's how we love you, is enduring what it is that you have given us to endure, that you strengthen us through that process, Father. Help us to endure and to get stronger because of it. Like the nation of Israel, that when they endured persecution, they came out stronger than they were before, came out closer to you than they were before, that you would use those things in our lives that are maybe even things that are from the outside for our own good. God, as we are the church, we ask that you would bless us, that in the name of the Lord that we would be blessed, and that we would bless other people, and that we would pray for our enemies, and that, Father, we just pray right now that those enemies that don't want your word to be heard by many, many, many other people, that they would be, those purposes would be thwarted and that in the multitudes of people would come to know you and that because of your church, your word would go out, your love would go out 
and they would know that you're a God of grace and mercy, but you also are a God who is righteous and who wants a relationship with us in a very intimate way. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. May you be blessed today.